Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkes, your host, and our guest is Gundula Kreutzer, an associate professor in the Department of Music at Yale University. In both her writing and her teaching, Professor Kreutzer approaches music from a wide range of interdisciplinary perspectives, such as social, cultural, and political history, as well as theories of multimedia. Today we'll talk with Professor Kreutzer about her new book, Verdi and the Germans, From Unification to the Third Reich. Welcome, Professor Kreutzer. Thank you so much for inviting me. Let's begin with an overview of your book and its premise. Tell us about it. Um, there's actually several premises um, with which I worked. One okay. of them is very well known, which is that music was very important for German national identity, mm -hmm. especially in the 19th century when Germany was not yet unified as a political country. There was a lot of emphasis on music, and Germany is a country in which music is great. Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, etc. Sure. And that includes German language countries, which then included um, Austria, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so much larger than what we consider Germany to today. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a premise that is well known, and people have written about it um, over the last decade. Um, but my question was, why should it just be German music that is interesting in that context? So we know that collective identities and self-identity formations are often based on a negative foil, a negative other against which you position yourself. Mm -hmm. And so in the political arena, again, that's well known. For Germany, that was France, the arch enemy. And you have all these cliches about French civilization versus German culture and mm -hmm. French fashion versus German depth and all these things. And so I thought, well, in music, um, it can't have been just German music. There must have been another as well. Mm -hmm. And so my premise is that that was Italian music because Italy had been a leading country of music for many, many centuries. Mm -hmm. And even in the 19th century, when Germans claimed to be leading in instrumental music in particular, Italian opera was still very, very prominent. Okay. And opera is a genre that was invented in Italy and by Italians around 1600. And that was still, Italian opera composers were still the most prominent and popular ones. Okay. And so in particular, and that's where my premise kind of gets more narrowed, um, this function of Italian opera as the other of German music and German national identity crystallized around the single figure of Giuseppe Verdi. Okay. And so Verdi, he was born in uh, 1813 and died in 1901. So his career really spans the crucial part of German nation formation in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And he was the single most popular composer, foreign composer in Germany since the mid-19th century. And so I thought, if we look at that, nobody talks about this. Nobody has talked about it in recent scholarship. Mm -hmm. um, none of the major writings that we know of, of 19th century German music historiography talks about Italian opera, but there must be something. He must have been talked about. He must have been at least um, irksome to German intellectuals. Mm -hmm. And so if we look a little bit deeper um, and look at what's going on on the ground, there must be a shadow side of this ideology of German nationalism and music. Okay. So that's really where I started. Okay, and how did you come to write the book? What gave you the idea? Well, the idea was I've always been interested in music in a larger context, mm -hmm. in a larger historical and political context. And so um, also I've been interested in ideologies and how they have persisted. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of German music being leading was one of those ideas that struck me as simplistic. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I really want to go beyond that and want, want to go behind that. 
And with that idea that German music was really leading in the 19th century, also has been associated the idea that um, if that's the case, then German music must also have been broadly popular. Germans must have been listening to their Haydn, mm -hmm. Mozart, Beethoven, and then later Wagner, etc. Right. And was that and the case? No, that was not the case. Oh, okay. So there's a whole sub-story. Uh -huh. So a very simple example is um, the Third Reich. Everybody is very well known that Hitler liked Wagner, mm -hmm. even fashioned his Mein Kampf on, Hitler, uh, on Wagner's Mein Leben. And so then the common assumption is that Wagner was also popular, and Wagner was much performed in the Third Reich. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case. Verdi was actually more popular than Wagner and was more often performed. Okay. Let me ask you this. How, how do you know that? How did you do your research to um, find that out, for instance? Yeah, I did a, I did a whole <laughs> range of different things, um, which I think is also one of my interests, again, in mm -hmm. bringing music into wider historical and political spheres and vice versa, inform musical scholarship by wider uh, political um, perspectives. So most basically I looked at a lot of writing on Verdi in musical scholarship mm -hmm. of the time, biographies of Verdi and reviews of performances. And then I expanded from there. I looked at daily papers, not just music journals, but daily papers of a wide political range, wide political spectrum. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at um, statistics, performance statistics in various cities as well as overall. Mm -hmm to just literally get an idea of how much is Verdi performed in other composers, in how which you, operas. Okay, how um, do you find out what performances were given back then? Well, there are, um, there are statistics in Berlin. There's an archive that has statistics mm -hmm. from the very late 19th century onwards. And before that, I actually did a lot of reconstruction looking at the major opera houses okay. in Germany at that time uh -huh. and when they are putting on premieres. So there was a lot of detailed work done mm -hmm. before I gathered a list of important premieres in important cities. Um, in fact, for the 20th century, I have all German opera houses. Mm -hmm. And then I went from there and I looked at reviews at important premieres and revivals and new stagings, etc. And then once you have the date, you can go from there. Mm -hmm. But I also looked at um, iconography, okay. um, images of Verdi and what they reflect about what's being thought about Verdi, which is really interesting. That is one of my surprising findings. And what was it? Um, that literally the physiognomy of Verdi and the way he's presented in uh, newspapers, uh, in portraits, mm -hmm. changes according to what German things, things about him at the time. So in the mid-19th century, he's still thought to be the threatening other, the prototypical Italian, the rough guy um, with these very grim operatic subjects. Mm -hmm. And so he's portrayed as very dark and grim and fierce with you know, furrowed brows and all this. And then later in the 19th century, the idea comes up that, well, Verdi is so popular, there must be a reason. And the German idea is that Verdi was influenced by Wagner and by German music. Okay. And so his face changes in representations, and his nose becomes shorter, his face becomes fuller and lighter, and his eyes bigger and less of a furrowed brow. Interesting. And then in the 20th century, there's a lot of writing on how his eyes were actually blue, and he really was very close to the Germans because he's so popular, there must be a reason. Uh -huh. So his eyes were brown in reality, but huh. um, so that's one of, anyway, that was fun. Well, uh, that is, yeah, actually very surprising. Yeah. So how does your work differ from the other um, research that that's out there? Yeah, I think part of, part of the difference is the sources that I looked at. And there's more, um, apart from ones that I just mentioned, I went into political archives 
and looked really at um, you know documents of say the propaganda ministry in the Third Reich mm -hmm. or of Emperor Wilhelm uh, and his artistic staff and looked at what how much is the are the politicians really involved in shaping a repertory mm -hmm. I also looked at economic um, aspects so I looked at the publisher of Verdi mm -hmm. his archives in Italy and their correspondence with German opera houses and there's often surprisingly banal reasons for the popularity of a particular opera or a composer. Mm -hmm. So Such I think um, so. Certain operas were already um, licensed to an opera house in some place, and so another opera house would have had to pay higher ah, fees. Okay. So then they decided, oh well, let's go with this early Verdi opera because it's just cheaper. Sure. And so here comes a revival of Verdi. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's just one example. So this political, um, the emphasis on political and theater archives, administration, uh, what I kind of call the mechanics of repertory formation, mm -hmm. is something that hasn't been looked at much at all in musicology. Okay. So that's one difference. And another difference, I would say, is the very long-term perspective that I'm taking. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really, the book is called From Unification to the Third Reich. Yes. But really, the first chapter starts in the early 19th century with the premises of pitting German versus Italian music, Rossini versus Beethoven, mm -hmm. which is the foundation stone of the anti-Verdi sentiment in the mid-century. Okay. And it ends after the Second World War with a brief snapshot um, of political appropriations of Verdi in East and West Germany. And so this long-term perspective has allowed me to really trace continuities of stereotypes mm -hmm in association and, and very subtle changes in association with political changes whereas most existing studies not of Verdi there's not much but of um, reception history in music mm -hmm. usually focus on a very narrow period say Wagner and the Third Reich. Right, right, okay. L let me ask you this, so Hitler was a huge Wagner fan. Yes. Um, did you see any evidence that people were afraid to then listen to Verdi? Um, yes, in in some sense. So that story of Verdi in the Third Reich, in some sense, mirrors or is a, a lens, a focal point of the larger story that I'm telling, which is that Verdi had always been popular, and so after. So that was a problem in the 19th century when German intellectuals tried to foster the idea of German dominance and German right. culture. And it was a problem after Hitler took power. And some opera houses and opera directors thought, oh my gosh, we have to ban any and all foreign repertory, so let's not do Verdi. Okay. And then people complained. And so then negotiations started. And mm -hmm. they said, oh, well, he's dead and he's really popular. We can't quite do that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so there were a lot, was a lot of negotiation, okay. which then changed once the Axis Pact um, came into existence in 1938, then uh, it was fine even for the highest politicians um, that Verdi was popular, and now it could be Axis propaganda. I see. Okay. Um, and then Goebbels himself got involved, mm -hmm. and he organized a Verdi festival. Um, so. Wow, okay. Yeah. And conclusions? Um, lots of different conclusions, okay. um, along with my various premises. One of them is that there really is there are so many continuities in this history of Verdi reception across the political eras that are usually defined, 1871, 1914, 1918, mm -hmm. Weimar Republic, Third Reich, post-war. There are a lot of continuities, including 
stereotypes and things about Verdi that have been thought about then mm -hmm. that are still very acute today. Like what? So the rise of Verdi in um, recent musicology and started with the very same questions that German writers asked in the early 20th century. Um, musicologists have tried to get away from the German bias on approaching Verdi's music from a perspective of German forms. And that was a big agenda in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. And it was the key to Verdi's um, coming back, if you wish, as an acceptable academic topic in the 1990s. Okay. Another example is stagings of operas. So certain scenes that were seen as problematic on German stages, um, for example, um, Verdi's uh, big French opera, Don Carlos, mm -hmm. has a religious finale and there's a, um, a ghost who's a monk who rescues Don Carlos and it's all very mystic, and, mm -hmm. uh, but a, a happy ending, a religious mystic happy ending. Um, that has seen to be problematic, was seen to be problematic in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. And so theater directors try to fiddle with this and I cut see. the opera and somehow make this religious element more mundane. Okay. And that is an exact same tendency that you see in most recent productions. Um, and so those continuities are often thought to be uncomfortable uh -huh. because we think we do everything new. And certainly when it comes to the Third Reich and continuities through that era. Mm -hmm. So that was another surprising conclusion that I found is that um, there's a strong continuity from the Weimar Republic into the Third Reich with Verdi's dominance, which they just can't change. Mm -hmm. Um, even the Third Reich, the strong political regime, can't change that. And Verdi continues after 1945 as if nothing had happened. Whereas German composers fall out of favor. Wagner is not being performed at all for some time and then only gradually gets back into the repertory. Why Verdi did you just think stays. Um, Wagner fell out of favor? Because he was associated with um, political appropriation ah, and with Hitler's okay. taste. Mm -hmm. But Verdi, in a way, with Verdi you could have it all ways. You could have him as the foreigner and um, therefore he was bad, or you could have him as your own, somehow mm -hmm. appropriate him, right. and which is what the Nazis did. But then he was still a foreigner and he was still good old Verdi. So after 1945, he could still be performed. It didn't stick with him. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So the continuity is certainly one, one of my conclusions. But then another one is diversity, regional diversity, um, and also between different social strata. Mm -hmm. So German culture, and especially musical culture, is often talked about as a homogenized, unified entity. Mm -hmm. And so I've placed a lot of emphasis on showing the differences between different regions, for example, between um, in the 19th century between Vienna, mm -hmm. Austria, Catholic, very close to Italy, and Berlin, Prussian, <laughs> Protestant. Mm -hmm. Uh, where Verdi really became a tool in the Kulturkampf of Bismarck okay. and in trying to associate the German Empire with Protestantism. So regional diversity, local interests. Mm -hmm. Another conclusion is um, something that has been talked about a lot is canon formation. How are be musical canons and repertories being shaped? Mm -hmm. And often this is talked about as top-down. There are some in power, they could be the conductors and they could be the academics and the intellectuals and the writers who determine which composer will be performed and okay. is the composer of the day. And so in a way my book provides a grassroots bottom-up perspective of this by looking at ah. a much wider spectrum of sources of writers, of daily journals, of individual agents, 
in this process of canon formation. So, um, yeah, that is, that is something kind of more methodological. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious to know about the upper class of mm -hmm. Germans versus the middle to lower class. Yeah. Was there any difference between each social level? In musical tastes? Yes. Yeah. So um, it starts in the late uh, 19th century where Italian opera is being associated with the aristocracy mm -hmm. because opera had often been or had traditionally been an aristocratic form. It's so lush, it's so expensive, so mm -hmm. grand that it was dependent on subsidies. And also it was considered to be less intellectually demanding than pure instrumental music. Mm -hmm. And so there was the idea fostered by the middle classes that really Italian opera is something that the aristocracy is favor um, favorable to. And of course the aristocracy was not supporting, was not seen to be supporting the German national cause. Mm -hmm. And so the German bourgeoisie was aligning itself with good German music. Okay. And um, that trope continued in various forms later in the 20th century. It was the intellectuals that were supposedly against Italian music and against Verdi because it was too simple, okay. um papa music. I see. And that changes in the 1920s when um, a lot of intellectuals, including Thomas Mann, including Franz Werfel, writers like that get really interested in Italian opera and particularly in the figure of Verdi uh -huh. and show positive assets for German culture after the collapse of traditional German values uh -huh. in the First World War, including Wagner, including the very idea of German musical dominance. Uh -huh. Verdi becomes a figure that becomes interesting for intellectuals. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing some of your work. Thank you so much for your interest in my work. It's a great pleasure to be okay, here. Great. Thank you. For more information about Professor Kreutzer and her research, please visit our website at yale.edu slash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale. Thank you.